Good evening, everyone. Thank you for being here. We're discussing Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha on the 58th Anucheda, dealing primarily with an understanding of an understanding of the proper way to look at the Lord's external energy and uh, dealing with the, an improper way that it can be conceived of. So the 58th Anucheda deals with this. Uh, explaining that the the universe is a is a is a product of the Lord's Shakti, uh, Parinam, Parinam Shakti. Parinam means it's it's a modifiable potency. So it's a potency of the Lord that can be modified. Maya, it can be moved in different directions according to. Uh, different influences. I mean, the Lord's immovable. No one can move the Lord, but here's the Shakti of the Lord that subjects itself to being moved by his other potencies, one of which is ourselves. So the Tatasta Shakti can can move the Maya Shakti, and the Maya Shakti can move the Tatasta, I mean, the Tatasta Shakti, the Jiva. So it's a mutually, it's a dance of... Uh, well, we won't call it the dance of divine love. <laughs> it's a dance in another way. So, Jiva's pre- presenting that actually Maya is is a real Shakti of the Lord. It's not an illusion. So it's not uh, not Vivarta, which is a widely held conception of the material world. Um, according to the uh, Advaitin philosophy. So we've been discussing this now for a couple classes, and we'll continue. Uh, this 58th Anucheda, as we presented, is is been divided into four parts because there's so much being covered here, and it's uh, it's an extremely um, long Anucheda. So this modifiable potency, Parinam, and I'm going to continue this evening where we left off in the last discussion. We're still reading the Anucheta proper, the second part of this Anucheta. Um, so we'll continue with the reading of that and uh, go over a couple things mentioned in the commentary before we go to the third part. In select places in prayers, and so on, where even the theory of Vivarta, the falsity of the world, appears, is discussed as an auxiliary to knowledge and detachment. The intent is not to show that the universe is redundant, false, or non-essential. Anyathasiddha. Something other than a real modification of Pradhan. Rather, their intent is to make evident that the notions of I and mine have been falsely superimposed either on the pure Paramatma in regard to the universe as the whole, Samasti, or upon his integrated part, the individual Atma, 
in regards to its individual body, Vyasti. The universe itself is real. However, having come into being as a result of the modification, Parinam of Pradhan, uh, which is an emanation, Vyuha, from Paramatma. This is really going to be flushed out considerably going forward here. Um, because in the Bhagavatam, both theories are mentioned in different places. And when we actually go into the next parts of this annotate of the explanation, it'll be really exemplified by Jiva Goswami that the the real explanation that needs to be taken as primary is the Parinam explanation, that it's a it's an actual Shakti of Bhagavan, the material world, that it's not just an illusion. But that isn't to say that in the Bhagavatam it's not referred to as illusory in order to in order to encourage knowledge and detachment. Knowledge that it's it's not it's not the full and, and comprehensive understanding of, of the reality, uh, which is of the nature of what is Paramatma and what is the nature of the Jiva. So it's referred to occasionally, and we'll actually go over specific references in the Bhagavatam where it's referred to as an illusion which is primarily the, the position of the Advaitavad, that it, it's totally an illusion. So we're going to finish up this part and go to the next, and Jiva Goswami really gets into pointing out that this whole illusion idea just doesn't fit. And he explains it in a very... In a very uh, um, philosophical manner, which is actually quite interesting. So this this is this is basically here just again pounding the post. Jiva's just bringing up these points, introducing them to us, and then he will elaborate on them more and more thoroughly so that we'll walk away with the proper understanding that Yes, there's a there's an illusion. There is the concept of illusion in the material world, but it's not that the material world itself is an illusion. So there's certainly illusion to be had in our involvement in the material world, but that doesn't make it unreal because it is a true and significant potency of the Supreme. So rather they are in their intent when it's referred to vivarta, when it's referred to as an illusion, uh, is to make evident that the notions of I and mine have been falsely superimposed either on the pure paramatma in regard to the universe as a whole or upon ourselves, the jiva as a part. Uh, but the universe itself is real. In this context, it is to be understood that in the case of Paramatma, the purpose, 
of pointing out such false superimposition is to enable the worship of his cosmic feature as Virat, as understood from scripture. Whereas in the case of the self, Atma, the purpose is ultimately to bring about absorption in individual identity as the pure self, distinct from the body and so on. So in those places where it's talking about the Paramatma being being um, what do we, what do we an imaginary imaginary uh, as an imaginary manifestation of the Lord. So it's referred to like that for the purpose of being utilized by the beginning transcendentalists. You mean the Bharat Rupa? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, it's referred to like that for that purpose. Mm -hmm. And and we should see it as that. When, it, when the world's talking to... When we say it's an illusion, we're saying, we're saying from the ontological viewpoint that the Lord, actually, He does not... He himself is not the material world. It's a, it's a manifestation of his potency. So therefore, if you are looking, if you're utilizing that kind of a concept that the Lord is the material world and this imposition on your mind that the material world is is the Lord himself that for your meditation purposes when you're when you're looking at it that way that vivarta that is that is actually supported in some places in scripture but you should know from our viewpoint from the transcendental viewpoint from the Bhagavatam's viewpoint although it it is referred to as an illusory manifestation of the Lord. You should know that it is sometimes referred to as that and not as just an energy of the Lord from our viewpoint. And also for ourselves, the same idea is there. So let's, let's just play this out a little bit so that the full understanding will come. Here and in the Bhagavat Sundarbha, it has been explained that Bhagavan has three types of potency, internal, external, marginal. We have also seen that the extrinsic potency is designated by many other terms such as Prakriti, Pradhan, and Maya. So Maya has many names. It is this extrinsic potency alone that undergoes modifications and manifests the universe. So the extrinsic potency can be modified and it is modified sometimes it's manifest and sometimes it's drawn in to the Lord so the, it goes in cycles so it's modifiable it actually becomes completely unmanifest at one point and then gradually it evolves again step by step yet because all potencies shaktis are non-different from their potent source Shaktiman, 
known as Bhagavan, he is understood as the ultimate cause of the universe, the source condition that makes possible the arising of all causality. Sarva karna karnam. So everything's coming by his potencies. He's the energy behind it all. The extrinsic energy called Maya has existence, Sanmatra, but not awareness. Nevertheless, although inert, it also has a presiding deity and therefore a conscious aspect. In other words, Maya is presided over by Maya. There's a personality behind Maya, although Maya itself is is inert. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence. And when you add all the, as we discussed in the last class, when we add all the different conscious input together, although it's perfectly orchestrated, really Maya in and of itself can't, you know, here again, when I say Maya, I'm not referring to the the personality Maya. I'm referring to the 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 Maya Maya itself being earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and false ego. So without that conscious input, as we discussed in the last, nothing's going to happen. And that conscious input comes from different sources. It comes from Paramatma himself. He speaks of this. Krishna, as Paramatma in Bhagavad Gita, speaks about it, as we discussed, as time. Time. I'm, I start the whole thing. I, I, give, I give suspended animation a movement. Now, in, in, in our scriptural nomenclature, what we say is time agitates the modes of material nature, brings them to life. So that's the first movement. And then from there, we could get into a detailed explanation of Sankhya and how different spiritualists theorize of the evolution of the universe. And those theories are even put forth in the Bhagavatam. Sankhya philosophy is put forward by Lord Kapiladev. So uh, many people would look at the universe as coming about in different ways, but the Vedic scriptures have different theories of the evolution of the universe, primarily that of the the Sankhya philosophy by the theist Kapila, Kapila Dev, the son of, uh, who is it, Devahuti. Hmm? So, um, and then you have others that say, well, it just, there was a big bang. Okay. Well, if you really think all the detailed universe, all the, all the, all that is comprised of life as we know it came around by a big bang with no conscious input, more power to you. I can't wrap my mind around that myself. But foolish materialists, in my estimation, they say, well, that's one way of talking about it. I mean, it since they're generally atheistic in nature, they can't conceive of a conscious input. But Maya has is, is movable. And it's movable by consciousness, and that consciousness comes about by the Supreme Himself, by His primary agent, Maya Devi, who presides over the whole material manifestation. 
and by all these various other agents of the Lord who are empowered to different differing degrees to manage things like demigods well like first the creator so first the Purusha avatar manifests the creator and then the whole thing gets into motion then the demigods exert their energy and those that, that energy allows us the individual jivas to interact with the world through senses which they specifically control in such a way that sight comes about, hearing comes about, smelling comes about, tasting, touching. So they're there in everything that we do. If we knew how many eyes were on us all the time, <laughs> helping control every little aspect of our existence, we would conduct ourselves differently if we were if we were aware of that in a in a much more conscious manner than we probably are. Uh, it would be a different life entirely, and and that's why we see that you know those saintly people they conduct themselves in such they're aware all eyes are on are on us, so to speak. You know, we're worried about, you know, the imposition of other human beings in, a, in, the, in society, you know, watching what we're looking at the Internet and, you know, checking out every mood. We don't realize people that really could have an influence on it are watching us. Those people could just, you know, put you in jail or something. These people can change your next life. They can they can have some real, you know, influence like a Yamarai. So kind of like it's something to, to think about you know to contemplate to meditate upon wow you know it's 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 a, uh, a a police song come to life our existence every breath you take every move you make I'm watching you <laughs> you know it's like okay wow <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for that <laughs> but Ready or not, that's our life. That's where we're at. And then, of course, we have a little bit of agency. So all this consciousness is is really the what is moving the Lord's external energy. She said Maya Devi herself is one of those agents moving. Well, yeah, that's it's her. Yeah, she's it's her, realm. it's her realm. Now, where's her influence? I mean. Here again, it's so complex, the banyan tree of material existence, you know, where's Indra's influence end and Yamaraj's beginning, where's, you know, where's water, you know, via, uh, the air, the water, Varuna, I mean, all these different demigods, you know, they, I'm sure they have their sphere of influence and once in a while one will step on another's toes and but mostly it's it's a pretty it's a pretty well well managed organization overall uh, sometimes the demigod will get it wrong like a yamaraj he'll make a mistake in the eyes of a sadhu the sadhu he may even have more power than the demigod so therefore you have 
you know, a Yamaraj being forced to take a birth here as a human being, as a Sudra. What a great birth that was, but that's another aspect of it. The sadhus are always looking out for our best interest, even when they're mad at us. For, you know, what was he? He was stuck with, he was, oh no, he didn't really happen. He was about to be, to be, uh, he was about to be strung up for something. Yeah, because when he was a child, he had pierced an insect right. with a straw. Right, so Yamaraj was like, like, okay, well, this is a just, <laughs> how did I get into this circumstance? I was a child. I was a child. A child's always innocent. Yamaraj said, yeah, oh, oh, oh. But before he could make amends, the sadhu had cursed him already. Hmm. So, we get the picture. It's, it's, it's consciousness. It's moving the world. Consciousness coming from all angles and all in perfect harmony. It's it's sarva karna karanam, and the cause of all causes behind all of it is the supreme. So a couple things here for the Advaita bodies. We'll touch on this, and then we'll go to the proper. For the Advaita bodies, the pure self or Atma is different from the jiva or the empirical self. Advaita Vedanta states that the universe has no reality of its own apart from the cognitions of the individual knowing subjects and discloses no truth other than Brahman, Sarva Klavidam Brahma. The world is a product of Maya, which has the two features of Viksepa, the potency of projecting the world's appearance, and Avaran, the potency of concealing the self's intrinsic identity. So for the Advaitins, they're saying what? The world has no reality except for your, for two things. You're projecting yourself into the world. You're, you're, you're putting your consciousness there and bringing the world to life. But it really, it's, it doesn't exist. I mean, we'll see as we go forward in these Anuchetas how it just, it just logically, somebody like Jiva could just say, no, no, come on. You know, so we're going to see how this plays out. But this Advaitin philosophy is, is something that we need to be aware of in order to understand that the Vidvarta concept is is not the proper understanding, even though in Shastra once in a while it's mentioned. So exact the exact context in Scripture and in, even in the Bhagavatam and where they're used and how they're used, they make sense the way Jeeva is going to present that information. They basically say the universe is neither real or unreal, but an illusory appearance 
uh, created out of the living being's ignorance. And there's a huge explanation here of, of that, which is, it comes out a little better further on, so we're going we're gonna to go to that explanation or uh, a detailed discussion. But let's look at how, what Jiva Goswami says in, in regards to this, this one part of the Anucheta. Srila Jiva Goswami explains that sometimes in the sections of the scriptures where the major topics under discussion are Gyan and Vairagya, the universe is described as a Vivarta of Brahman. He indicates that the purpose behind such descriptions is to create a sense of detachment in the minds of sadhikas of the Gyan Marg, as renunciation is the very basis of the path of knowledge. If one perceives the world as a mere appearance without fundamental reality, then such a person would lose interest in it. It's a preaching, it's a preaching <laughs> strategy that's used in the scriptures. Yes, you should see this world is false. There's no reality here. Your existence it should be in the reality of, of your spiritual self. So everything you're seeing here is just an illusion. Just a vivar. It's like a mirage. You're accepting it as real. You're accepting the rope as a snake. And there is no snake there. If you could just understand it was a, ro a rope and you're projecting on it your idea because your senses or your environment doesn't give proper illumination to the rope that is there, you've made it something it isn't only up here in your mind. The rope's not going to bite you and poison. Huh? That we'll get into. Let's just go with the, 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 the idea here for a moment. Uh, so, but the rope, there is a... Now the question, the question is, and Bhakti Ross touched upon it, well, there's no rope to begin with, and that's what Jiva's going to flush out. For there to be the imposition, the rope itself would have to exist in reality somewhere. So that's Jiva's cross-argument that he's going to get to in the next part. Okay, but just to continue the explanation here, from, from their point of view, the Advaitin's point of view, they don't go this... Well, it's interesting because it's, it's endless regression is what you're speaking of. It doesn't make sense. You can't build logic based on an endless regression which is a good point you're bringing up. But just for the place of argument here, let's accept the Advaitin's view, but let's see what they're saying. They're saying that we are looking at the world as, as real, but it's really an illusion, like your acceptance of a rope as a snake. So you're in a dip, dim, dimly lit room, or your eyes aren't working properly, or you're you're drunk and intoxicated some way or another, uh, taking whatever, and you're seeing a rope and you're thinking it's a snake and thinking it's going to bite you. 
If you take a lot of intoxication, it will actually start coming at you. <laughs> you know, just take take the right drugs in the right circumstances. Everything's could be a problem, <laughs> or everything could be you know beautiful, but it's an illusion. So that's what they're saying. That's the Advaitin philosophy about the material world. So Jiva just, he claims, however, that such descriptions do not intend to say that the universe is illusory or imaginary. So such descriptions are used in the Shastra that it's all an illusion, but it's for those people on the Gyanmarg, those people that are that they need detachment. For the Bhakti Marg, we want a t- attachment. And, you know, for us, Yuktavairagya is fine. We'll use everything in Krishna's service because it's his energy to, to begin with and to end with. So we have no problems. The sadhus have no problems in the material world. And whether it's a rope or a snake, it's Krishna. And if Krishna's sending me a rope, well, I'll climb a tree. And if Krishna sent me a snake... <laughs> To take my life was just a body. It doesn't matter. So they're they're totally on the on the use it all in Krishna's service. Well, for the for the gyanis, they want to detach themselves from the world. The real purpose behind the description of Ivarta in the Bhagavatam and elsewhere in the scriptures is to enable consciousness to be fixed either on the supreme self or on the individual self, who is an integrated part of the supreme. This requires transcending the false imposition of the notions of I and mine, either upon Paramatma or the Atma in regard to the macrocosmic or microcosmic forms of the universe, respectively. And this is explained a little bit. In the case of Paramatma, the disclosure of the false superimposition of such notions makes it possible for Paramatma to be understood as the authentic I, or in other words, as the self of the universe as a whole. This is relevant to the worship of his cosmic form as Virat, as understood from scriptural statements. So when there's this imposition on Paramatma, the Paramatma aspect, then we can look at Paramatma as manifest in the world as as the world and as we explained last class worship him as such so everywhere we see the 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 rivers and the streams as his veins and you know and the, and the explanation just goes on and on the eye is his the sun is his eye and you know it's quite an elaborate way of meditating on the lord in nature so it, it's he's accepted as that. This is relevant in the worship of the cosmic form. In the case of Atma, the unveiling of the false superimposition in regards to the body can lead ultimately to the direct intuition of the intrinsic eye distinguished from the my, resulting in absorption in one's true identity as the pure self distinct from the body. This is possible when it is recognized that what is illusory is not the universe or the individual body, but merely the false imposition of the notions of I and mine upon Paramatma or the Atma in regards to these two phenomenal forms. So that's the illusion. 
the illusion and of the that where that's used it's used as a tool to see that ultimately the worship of the lord in nature is it is an illusory form of the lord better you worship the lord in his spiritual form in the beginning you can worship him in nature but as you mature better that you give up this illusion and worship him in his spiritual form so the varat rupa or worshiping the lord in nature is a stepping stone so to speak in spiritual progress similarly in looking at ourselves we should see we're not this body and we're not this mind and we're not this false sense of i that we place upon ourselves in relationship to the material environment in relationship to the world around us so in both instances seeing it seeing those ideas as illusory is beneficial to us does that make sense i think it'll come out a little bit more as we go on so now for the third part of this same anacheta the superimposition is illusory but not the objects so now we're going to get start touching upon what you mentioned and how to conceive of this so this is the anacheta properly and it's mostly composed by jiva himself only an object that exists elsewhere can be superimposed upon something else for example for example example silver on an oyster shell we have experience of silver and we've seen its its glittering effect and we've gone to the ocean and come ac- across the oyster shell and upon opening it we see that it's silver it's not silver mm-hmm. it looks silver so we think it's silver what jiva's going to do now is he's going to deal with the fact that the world cannot really be false and he's going to deal with it and present it logically to us so he's beginning his explanation here his explanation is if you accept falsity that falsity initially is based on a reality there is really an oyster shell and it really looks silver but it wouldn't look silver to you if you didn't have prior experience of silver directly so it's not the falsity is not in silver and not in the oyster it's oyster shell it's in you saying it's a silver oyster shell guru jesus that was a false guru wasn't it mm. is he a false guru 
false guru, you know that there has to be real guru somewhere. This is because it is impossible to superimpose, Jiva says, a non-existing object such as a sky flower that really doesn't exist onto something else and because no example can be given of a beginningless chain of such purely illusory super, super uh, superimpositions following one another. Beginningless chain, which is what you were getting to. So he's going to play that out a little bit. It's really interesting to, to think about. For the Advaitins, Vivartam Vod, to, to be accepted as a viable concept this is a hurdle that they would have to get over and logically you can't do it. So let's go on. Moreover, Jiva says, though a mental impression in the shape of water is created after seeing water, it remains inactive in the absence of an appropriate context and becomes activated only on seeing an object that resembles water. So he's, he's saying this is the way our minds work. You see water and you have an impression. That impression sticks with you. And then when you see something else that meets the criteria of the impression that your mind's taken on in the quote quote word water, and then we get into the whole thing of words and how the whole material world is really made up of different words that mean what? Well, Lord Chaitanya took all the words and gave them one definition. It all boils down to Krishna. Krishna. So you can, take, you can make it all Krishna. Everything. We don't do that on a regular basis, but if you did, there would be nothing wrong with it, and that was the part of the, the point of Lord Chaitanya's school, schooling to his uh, students that and he did this what after he after he took initiation. This was his new stand. Was it after initiation? Yes. So that immediately he saw Krishna everywhere. He quit seeing distinctions in the world. He only saw Krishna. And he logically presented that in the classroom. That's Krishna and that's Krishna. And he'd take it down and explain it that way to his students. So really you can see even the water, that's Krishna because, and he, he explained it with logic and reason uh, to his students in that way. So, without closely examining the specific characteristics of the resembling object, one then superimposes upon it the independent sense of its non-different form, water. One, mis one mistakes it for water. Therefore, it is not the water that is illusory, mithya, nor is it the mental modification, vritti, having the form of water and composed of memory il illusory, 
nor is the mirage that resemble water illusory. Rather, Jiva says, it is only the miss, it is only the superimposition of non-difference from water on the resembling object that is false or illusory because it is not in conformity with the reality. See what Jeeva's saying. The water's not an illusion. The impression in your mind of what water is is not an illusion. The fact that you're perceiving water in the desert is not an illusion. What's an illusion is the fact of what? It's the is the superimposition you're you're putting forth on the heat waves on the top of the sand, you're putting forth that imposition. That's what's that that's the falsity of it. The other parts are not false. It's the misidentification. You're putting you're, you're putting everything together improperly. If you put it together properly, you see it's heat waves. But you've seen water. You have an impression of water in your mind. You're looking at the desert and you're seeing water. You, all the, uh, everything up to the point of you seeing water is not the illusion. The illusion is it's water. Because you're seeing a mirage, and a mirage is real. It's a real mirage. It's a real mirage, yes. So, see what he's saying? That's really what's false. So, I mean, now you have to take this logic and apply it in a way that's beneficial to the way you're seeing existence. You do exist. You you know everything's there, but you're thinking you're you're a combination of of of, of earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego. That's yourself. You're accepting this body as a self. Well, you do exist. The body does exist. It's not that it's not there. You know. Your impression of what you are, the fact that you are in your mind, that's that's okay too. What's wrong is when you think that you, your true self, is the combination of, of material elements that you inhabit. That's that's really where the problem lies. So we're talking about Vivarta, illusion. What is illusion and what is an illusion? So, Jiva Goswami is, is explaining this. It's, it's interesting stuff. The same pr- principle applies to dreams, he says. As indicated in the following sutra, dream objects are, however, products of maya alone because they are not perceived by anyone other than the dreamer. There's no commonality there. According to this rationale and its correspondence with the formula just described, 
Paramatma's maya superimposes onto the mental impressions the dream object, which has the form of an object seen while awake, the sense of its being identical to the original object. So in dreams we accept things as, as a reality. But there's no commonality. So in our waking state, there's commonality. If I ask, what is this that I'm hitting? Everybody here is going to say, it's a table. It's holding a speaker. It's holding a water bottle. So we have, we've, we have agreed to, right? We've agreed to a certain way uh, of, of giving a nomenclature to things. That's a sofa, that's a harmonium, that's a, uh, all kinds of things. And we can communicate those. We don't say, oh, this is Krishna, and here's Krishna here, and here's, this is, you know, it'd be kind of hard to say, well, could you bring me the Krishna? Well, which one do you want? <laughs> do you want the pot, or do you want me to bring you a, you know, what do you want me to bring you? So we have a common way of communicating, so there's some commonality there. This is kind of speaking about the dream state. There's no commonality, so it's it it is all it is more of an illusion, I guess, is what's being brought out. Therefore, in truth, there is never such a thing as falsity, mithya, twa, where the universe is concerned. Thus, it is only such a superimposition of one thing, the body or the universe, onto the pure self or onto Paramatma that is illusory, not the body or the universe itself. So the superimposition, either on Paramatma, that Paramatma is the universe, or on ourself that we are this body. Because the universe is generated by Paramatma and is thus not directly he himself, and because it consists of his extrinsic potency, it is thus not directly related to him in the way that Vaikuntha is. This is Jiva writing. He's explaining there's a difference here. Only less intelligent people consider the pure Sutta, either Paramatma or the individual Atma, to be that, the universe or the body. So it's only the the less intelligent people who haven't yet developed fine discrimination that still look at the the universe as as the Lord directly. We're not talking about seeing the Lord in everything or seeing the universe as, as the energy. They actually say this is you know this is God. That's and this will also be played out because there's a way that they do this. Um, or we accept the body as the self. Although the universe is grounded in the pure Sutta, Paramatma, he has no direct con contact, samsarga, with it. This is stated in the Bhagavad Gita. The knowledge is both unattached and the maintainer of all. The knowable is both unattached and the maintainer of all. 13.14 only such less intelligent people identify the body with the self 
and the home and so on as belonging to the self. Thus the superimposition on both of these, the individual self and Paramatma, is described in scripture as in Vishnu Purana quoted earlier. They consider this congealed form of the universe to be your form due to mistaken understanding. So that's the only comp- that's the only frame of reference these the less intelligent have. Can't really hold it against them. It's it's the only ref they have no other knowledge. So when they're looking for God, where are they going to look? They're going to look to the universal what we call the universal form. They have no other they have no other context for an understanding of God until what? Until they're they're given some good association. Until they're granted the association of scripture and the sadhu. How, how are they going to arrive at, at an idea of God? Their idea has to be based upon the world around them. So that's what's being spoken of here by Jiva Goswami and what he's bringing out from scripture. That, that's, that's all they have. We call them less intelligent. Let's give them intelligence. It's not, a, it's not done in a derogatory manner. It's just done, they, just don't, they haven't been plugged in yet to, to higher knowledge. So therefore, that's the way they look at it. Now just take away, just regress yourself back to the point in this life before you had contact. Well, some of you can't. Wow, that must be great. But when you didn't have contact with devotees, and you can you can say, you know, where there was a, maybe a concept of God and other religious doctrine that you were you know a part of culturally at the time, but take take away all those cultural changes, and you go back to wanting to to commune with the Lord. What else do you have? than the environment. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see God in the stars and see see God's energy in the, in the matter around you and the sun's heat and light and, you know, and you're going to, that's where, that you're not going to be able to look anywhere else because you have no other context, no other thing. So that's what's being spoken of here, that the intelligence hasn't yet come into contact with with higher knowledge or descending knowledge, as we'd say. That pond. Right. Or the frog of the... That's all we have. And we can't conceive of it or we blow up. That was the the, <laughs> the, uh, the idea, right? The frog of the pond. So the, the lesson... Pay, intelligent people, this is their concept, and this is their concept in regard to themselves... They don't know that there's a spirit soul. They just know this is, what else is there? There's this. This is where I am. They don't, they don't even have the idea that, well, actually you're spirit soul. You're not that body. What is a spirit soul? Show me one. If you can't show it to me, then how, why would I think that there is one? Dead is dead. Yeah, dead is dead. Those, all those ideas are there. So, the whole idea of, of higher higher spiritual education, it has to be descending. 
Or you can make up. You can speculate. But how far is that going to get you? I guess you could, you know, I guess look to Scientology and say, well, it should be the same thing as a, as a, as a fiction novel that you could write. Yeah. Anyway, sorry for that. Um, or, as in the following, Jiva goes on, and now he quotes from the Bhagavatam. Ah, such is the absurdity of the ignorant who consider you, who are their very self, to be something other than the self, who consider something other, the body-mind complex, to be their own self, and who therefore search for the self outside of their intrinsic being. Now it's a verse from the Bhagavatam. It's from Brahma's prayers, and he's, he's talking to Krishna, who's not really paying attention, but anyway, <laughs> he's fully aware. Uh, and Brahma's just explaining the nature of Krishna and, and the nature of, of this ignorance wherein we accept the body as the self and we accept, if we're, if we're looking for the self, um, we have nowhere else to look except in our self or what our concept of the of the self or the higher self would be. The meaning of this verse is as follows. One who considers you, the self, the root of all selves, to be something other, different, or opposite to that, who similarly take the other, namely the jiva itself, to be the root form of the self, or in other words, as ultimate as the Sankhya scholars do, for a person who holds to such a view, the jivatma becomes an external object to be sought. Because of this defect, Maya imposes upon him the identification of the body as the self. Alas, such is the absurdity of the ignorant. Such is their systematic demise from true knowledge. Now, Vishwanath, in his commentary to this very verse that uh, that Jiva uh, quotes from the 10th canto, says the following. Brahma prayed. So he's paraphrasing the prayer of Brahma. Ignoring these scriptural statements that show Brahman has a body and, ex and exists in a spiritual abode, Dham, people remain in darkness. They are so fallen that they accept a blind guru, Parampara, and discuss Vivartavad. They are in the most lamentable of all lamentable conditions in my creation. So, Brahma's, Vishwanath is basically pointing out by paraphrasing Brahma that this is the most lamentable situation that you could be in that you have a blind guru. A blind guru being a guru that has no concept of the Supreme beyond the direct experience of the world. Or we become our own guru and think, well, if I'm going to look for God, he's got to be me. What else could there be? There's no, there's no, refer there's no point of reference. Whoa. It's late. I'm sorry. 
Thank you very much for your association.